Man, this is this is the first time uh, I think we've gotten you on cam, huh? Yeah, 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 it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm mostly uh, behind the scenes. I'm in the chat. Yeah, pretty much. Which we have in three different locations across the room. <laughs> oh? There it goes. Hey, there it is. Like a slight. Yeah, oh, yeah. All right. Yes, Atari, it is Jordan. Hi, Atari. Hi, Death. <laughs> Miss you, dude. <sighs> Man. Y'all, Jordan actually lives not far down the road either, so. This is going to be problem. It's going to be trouble. <laughs> the entire time. We all do. Ole. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! This is this is bad. Um, it really is. Okay. And of course. <sighs> Welcome to the only podcast where we are crazier than the life you deal with daily. This is the Madhouse. I'm Joker. And today on The Madhouse Presents Group Therapy, I am joined by none other than Unreal Style on Twitch, our lovely member of the community, Jordan. Hello, everyone. And today, Group Therapy is giving everybody episode 12 of the X-Men universe started with episode 10 so we're on the second no third yeah episode 10 was the first movie x-men episode 11 was x2 and now we are on x-men the last stand it is the third film in the original franchise <sighs> what do you think about that jordan I think they could have done so much more after it. But it, the movie was great in itself. Um, they did... They did good by it. So, like I was telling you before we started this, I've got the whole list here, so if you want to take a picture of this, this is the actual release date, like the cinematic release date of the films. Okay. Um... This film that we're going to be kind of talking about today, it was released in 2006. 2006. Literally now, two years after I graduated high school. Yeah, don't ask me. I don't, I don't do math. <laughs> 2006. What year did you graduate high school? Or did you leave high school? Uh, I believe I was supposed to be the class of 2012. 
God, you're a baby. I'm 31. I, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I was supposed to be class of 2012, so... God, do you know what I was doing in 2012? Coming back from Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I got nothing. Well, we're going to get going. Again, uh, we're talking about The Last Stand. So The Last Stand, again, was released in 2006. Now, we talked about, just to kind of summarize the what the first two movies did, um, obviously, X-Men 1, or the original X-Men in 2000, which was 22 years ago. Yeah, I feel old. The original X-Men was came out 22 years ago. But originally the movie series, the original series of X-Men was based around Rogue. It wasn't even around Wolverine. Right. And because of the fame after the first film, that's when Hugh Jackman kind of stole it from Anna Paquin. Yeah. And became the star, the centerpiece of the universe. Um, but they weren't even originally planning to make any more X-Men after that. He became a fan favorite and because of that that's where it went. It, it blew up that way. Yeah. So in the second film um, X2 they brought out some uh, fan favorites as far as the mutants talking about Nightcrawler uh, dove deeper into Wolverine Rogue, uh, Cyclops Iceman Pyro Mystique, and Magneto. And then there was a nice little, uh, not FaceTime cameos, but in one scene that I talked about, you can check back to get the full details on that in episode 11. Um, also, on YouTube, I have every single episode posted. So until we get affiliate, of course, within a week or two, they the VODs fall off of Twitch. So go check out the YouTube channel. Um, it, it, you just got to simply search Madhouse Presents Group Therapy and you can find us there as well. Uh, but they talked about um, the Gunthree uh, siblings, Sam and Paige, or Cannonball and Husk, um, Silver Samurai, one of the Weapon X's, the male Weapon X outside of Logan, um, yeah. Kane, Remy LeBeau, who was Gambit, of course, Magneto, Artie was also in there. They mentioned um, Multiman, Karma, uh, the Makarov twins, Maximoff, Maximoff twins, uh, Scar Scarlet Witch and Silver Surfer. Um, Quicksilver? Yeah, Quicksilver, thank you. Silver Surfer is still the, the universe, but wrong part, wrong silver. Um, Proteus, which was... Um, McTaggart's brother. Yeah. And then uh, Moonstar. Danielle Moonstar, who was originally Psyche and then transitioned later on in the comic book series to Mirage. So yeah. she was mentioned in there. And then, of course, we got our a good glimpse in the second film at the Young Colossus, too. Right. Now... With that, um, we do get a few more glimpses into newer, um, or not newer, but cinematic renditions of 
some more mutants from the X-Men universe. Um, I think his name was Archangel. Or Angel. Angel, just Angel. Yeah. Gorin. Um, he shows up and has a few parts in it. Um, Colossus gets more screen time in this film. We finally get to see the first mutant version of Hank McCoy as the Beast. And this is where he takes off and gets popularity because in the last film, or in X2, he didn't really get that much screen time. It was just a snippet on a TV and in a human form. Uh, let's see. Who else? Multiman gets a, in the uh, attempted rescue of Mystique yeah. on the mobile prison transport. Multiman actually gets screen time and then... Uh, Juggernauts makes his first appearance in the live-action movie. Um, and then also Leech, which is the one that uh, kind of sets the whole plot line of this movie. Yeah. Um, so I think we can go in. So as far as the different mutants before we get into the actual summary of the plot line, um, what do you think about the different mutants that showed up? I think they were good. Um, they they definitely branched out um, from the first two movies because in the first two movies we don't really see um, the, uh, <laughs> we don't really see the there's a word for it. What are you trying to say? The different kinds of mutant powers. Like the... The variety? Variety. Thank you. Just oh, speaking of variety, too, before you continue, is um, we were in the first mo or first episode, so episode 10, we were talking about the first movie, we did go over the three classifications, like or the four classifications, I think it was Omegas, instead of the tier levels that they talk about in this movie with class five, the class levels. Yeah. But we give them the names, the Omega, Beta, Alpha. Hey. Now, they do talk about, um, in this movie, the class levels, instead of Omega level, like we talked about in the first, or episode 10, um, they talk about them, they give them a rank structure as far as numbered tiers. So one being the lowest, two, three, four, and five. Five being Jean Grey and the Dark Phoenix, or Phoenix herself. Right. All right. Anyway, continue. <laughs> no, you're fine. That would just explain the Omega uh, tattoos and, like, um, cut out in that one mutant's hair. In the oh, yeah. When they were doing the, um, the, in the church or the cathedral. Yeah, like. The meeting. Like, yeah, it was like. The mutant meeting or whatever. Yeah, because, like, some of them had the, like, the Omega, like, tattoos and then the. I want to call him like Oh, Spike. His Spike. name Spike. Okay, Spike. He had it, like, buzzed Into through the, the back. back of his head, like, as a haircut style. Oh, I did not notice that. Yeah. Well, you can only, you can only see, like, it when it goes over. You uh -huh. can't really see the other ones, but um, two of the mutant girls that were with him, they had them, they had the Omega tattoos on them. Oh, so like uh, Callisto and 
show in the. No, it no. doesn't show in there. But it was one that did her hands like that and sent out the shockwave that destroyed all the guns. Oh. Her. Yeah, we're going to have to look that one up. Okay. Alright, so going through the summary of the plotline between my notes and what we've got up here. Not Jubilee. Jubilee was uh, one of the X-Men. This was one of the evil side mutants that aligned themselves with Magneto. Uh, but in the beginning, it starts out with a 20-year-younger um, <laughs> Professor X, when he was just Charles Xavier, he wasn't really a professor at the time, and Eric Lishner, who, of course, is Magneto, when they were still friends, and Xavier could still walk. Now, of course, the characters are Patrick Stewart and um, Ian McKellen. Ian um, just with CGI effects on their face making them younger or appear younger. Um, and they were going to see Jean yes. Grey for the first time. Arclight. Yeah, yes. there we go. Thank you, chat. Um, but Arclight was the one you were talking about. Yes. On the evil side. Yeah. But they meet the young Jean Grey uh, in her home in the suburbs, which is uh, the first rendition of a young Jean Grey. And what they're, during that interaction, she has all of her powers. She is already, as a 12-year-old, I think 12? Mm, preteen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just say a preteen um, with class 5 or Omega level destruction capabilities in her. Like, the Phoenix is already a part of her in this or in this timeline whereas if you've watched any of the newer X-Men stuff um, it's actually not a part of her until the movie Dark Phoenix right so um, in the original series of X-Men movies she's already the Phoenix she's got the Phoenix level powers um, then we transition over to the young very young uh, Angel, yep. what looked like about seven or eight uh, in the, in his daddy's bathroom. Now, of course, his dad is one of the main antagonists in um, this movie on the human side. And he's uh, trying to beat down the door because the kid's shuffling around. Oh, my God, I got it. Because he just cut off his wings. It was Angel. He was freaking uh, hawk wings growing out of his back. But he's trying to cut him off because his dad's anti-mute. Well, um, bust down, the dad busts down the door and um, that's when he sees that his son is a mutant. And what they end up doing, they'll show it later on, where Angel's supposed to be the first to be injected with the cure. The cure. So, those two scenes, what do you think about them? I... Like, for that scene, like, you could... The pain from Angel, like, as a young kid, knowing what his father is doing 
you know, to mutants and to literally basically cut something out that is a living part of you. It's like amputating your own arm. Yeah. Like, it's literally tearing apart yourself. So that scene, it just shows, like, so much emotion. Because I got a little bit teary-eyed, I'm not going to lie, when I watched it. Because, like, he's trying to hide who he is from his dad. It, it... What? Well, thinking, like, um... As far as actual human beings, like when they try to hide, like young gay kids trying to hide their gayness from their parents, like try, like young boys that are gay and like to cross dress, yeah, that end up being great drag queens later on in life. Oh yeah. But them hiding those unapproved items, kind of thing. Yeah. Or. Uh, like young girls who feel more masculine binding and they try to hide their binders that they got from a friend from their parents. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I thought of it as, even back then, because I grew up with a brother that's gay and he was not necessarily hiding it, but he wasn't outward about it either. Yeah. So, that that's what I was thinking. Oh, no, wholeheartedly. Um, I think I took a note that, it, like, the cure is like how people thought there was a cure for gay for gay because <laughs> yeah because there's the cure for the gay the gay is a disease mental illness exactly so, so the mental illness is thinking that they're you can control people yeah pretty much oh speaking of control people i just found out recently that there's one of the best novels that i had ever read Called 1984. Oh yeah, it's actually banned in the U.S. I read that in high school. You know why? What other countries it's banned in? Huh? China and Russia. Shocker. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because China and Russia are saying that it's anti-communist. The U.S. government saying that it's uh, anti. Uh, not establishment, but I can't remember what it said. But it basically. And that's where the problem lies, is that it's not either of the two acclaimed reasons, but it's anti-authoritarian. Yeah. Or authoritism. I don't know. Anyway, but, yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah, no, that's that's what I was thinking about when you said that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. All right, then what goes to modern time in the movie, uh, to the danger room. Danger Room is the holographic projection room that they have at the mansion for training young mutants to becoming X-Men. And this is the first time we actually get to see it. Uh, if you remember back to the other episode, I actually mentioned in the fun facts that there was slots for the Danger Room to be filmed in the last movie as well. But they didn't do it. Right. So what we got in this one is they're going against... Um, what were the Sentinel. names? Yeah, Sentinels. Thank you. Um, and it was Rogue, Iceman, and Colossus, along with Wolverine and Storm, which was supposed to be Scott Winters, who is Cyclops and Storm. Summers. Summers. What did I say? Winters. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> come see, come stop. You know. yeah. 
Yeah. Who's Scott Winters? I'm trying to think. I have no idea. I'm exhausted, y'all. Please forgive me. Anyway, uh, Scott Summers, yep. Cyclops, and Storm are supposed to be the ones training new mutants. Well, of course, as you can remember in X2, Jean Grey got consumed by the flood of water that she held back so they could get out of uh, Alkali Lake at the end of the last movie. So he's depressed and down about that and angry and all this other shit. And he's in his feels uh, right now. Yeah. So Wolverine stepped in via the request of Professor X and they're getting beat up pretty bad. Wolverine has his last cigar knocked out of his mouth and destroyed. <laughs> yeah. And then he had he looks at Colossus and it's like, toss me. <laughs> so Colossus d- does a nice little heave of uh, Logan and of course Logan cuts the Sentinel's head off and shows up behind. Um, there's a lot of cool shit about that that I like. Like that scene. Yeah. Because you got to see um, a rogue starting to finally be introduced as an X-Man because of course in this uh, animated series and a lot of the comic books she was a mainstay and a primary like known character in this in the universe yeah um she just looked hot and yellow and green in that vest oh she was one of my favorites in the animated series i'm not gonna lie um and then of course we got to see colossus actually in action yeah um now and then iceman of course because i think pyro at the end of the last film already joined over to magneto yeah, it was towards the end of the second one. All right. Now, with Colossus, this this is where it's a little contrary to what I remember from the animated series and the comic books is that he did not have the ability to go back in, in his mutation, like steal up and be human. I believe so in the animated, from the animated series, I believe that he, he was always metal. Yeah, always. He, he, he was, was never human. Kind of like what uh, is depicted in the Deadpool. Right. Now, the other downfall is that Colossus is Russian or Eastern European, but he has no accent in these movies. He didn't last movie and he didn't this movie. Right. He was speaking proper good English. Yeah, he's... His accent's supposed to be thick. Yeah, it's like in thick. the Deadpool series. Yeah, like... <laughs> it's the Deadpool series. <laughs> um, but yeah, because he, he's like either Russian or like Ukrainian, something along those lines. I think he's Russian. Because his, na- uh, his name is... It starts with... I cannot remember for life of me. But it is, it is like depicted, I think it's like a Russian name. Yeah. Alright, and but anyway, so in this one, of course, he is swapping back and forth, whereas in most other depictions, like in the Deadpool movies, he does not swap back and forth. Um, and then, of course, Storm's mad 
at Logan because Logan kind of stepped up and ended the simulation. Yeah. Instead of letting them fight it out. Yeah. Because in the uh, animated series and a lot of the standard X-Men comics, the Sentinels are one of the main uh, posing units outside of the Brotherhood of Mutants against the X-Men. Alright, and then we go to Hank showing up at at the, uh, the he becomes the ambassador. He's the... Or no, he's the secretary of something. Yeah, he's like the, um... Mutant Affairs. Yeah. Secretary of Mutant Affairs? I believe so, yeah. Um, of course, and this is the first appearance, like I said earlier, in his human, or in his mutant form in the series... And he's in a tie, like, dressed up, but blue fur everywhere. And they're talking about Raven, because Raven is finally captured, because she was trying to... Uh, Senator Kelly, I believe it was, still? Or is it was it a different senator? Oh, I forgot his name, but yeah, no. She was trying to break into the FBA as... And not Senator Kelly, who she portrayed the last two movies. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she got caught, and um, that's when they cut to her scene being interrogated. And during that interrogation, they're trying to ask her where Magneto's at, and she goes through like two or three different mutations, or excuse me, transformations in that process, finally uh, beating the interrogator on his ass, which was was hilarious. That was great. Because he was a dick about it, too. He thought he could, like, break Mystique, and it's like, no, dude, she breaks you. Yeah, and this was another time, this was one of the first times they used her real name, Raven. Raven Darkholm. Yeah, they actually used her real name in this one. I don't recall them using it in the other two ones. They always called her Mystique. Except for Magneto called her Raven and uh, Xavier. But outside of that, no one, no other mention of Raven. It's always Mystique. Right. But anyway, and then she promptly said, um, that is not my name. Or that was my slave name. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that is... Yeah. She doesn't answer to her slave name or something Yeah, she doesn't answer to her slave name. Um, And then, of course, Mystique comes out, and what did she call him when she actually grabbed a hold of him? Homo sapien. Oh, yeah. Homo sapien. That's right. I couldn't remember that one. Um, Let's see. Then it cuts to another scene where... um, Professor X is talking to Storm walking down the main hall and he offered his position as the headmaster of the school of gifted children or excuse me youngsters in to uh, Storm and this isn't the first time I remember seeing this because I know in the comic book series there was one offspray where that happened because Scott died, if I remember correctly. Or something happened to him along the lines of his mental state, kind of like what they're portraying. Yeah. 
because most everywhere else it's always Scott Summers who as Cyclops as the main leader of the X-Men is always offered the lead over the school right but this follows that one off spray where Storm takes over or has the option to take over yeah uh, so those three scenes, like Hank, Raven's uh, scene, and that scene, what what were your thoughts on those? Mm, I thought it was like how they made Scott go through the stages of grief, but instead of going towards the acceptance, he put in. Because he, he was one of the original students, yeah. along with Jean. So, like, it would have went to Jean, but then she died. And then Scott, but then with his mental decline after Jean's death, the next person is Storm, which we know, which is a good choice because she's always thinking about the students. She's always thinking about the school. She's always, you know, there to protect them and what Professor stands for. Like, he, like she lost one of her, like, best friends, but she picked herself up, she went through the process, and she moved on to know that her purpose is still there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Raven scene. The interrogation. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Like, you can wholeheartedly tell that even, like, up to the point before she gets shot with the cure, like, her loyalty to Magneto is solid. Like, nothing could break her mm-hmm. of it and like they really totally thought that they could put her in a room and she'd crack they wholeheartedly thought that she would betray everything that she believed in every in who she believed in wasn't the case yeah and for those that have never really seen the original series only saw the newer versions of Mystique that Jennifer Lawrence plays as the younger version, Rebecca Romaine Stamos was a femme fatale. Like, she is death reincarnate here as Mystique. And it fit well for her. It really did. Um, but she she was sinister in her betray- or portrayal of the Mystique Raven character. And that's what made it so believable that she was that person. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like that. Okay. It's <laughs> one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. And I don't think, like, even if they tried to revisit that side of Mystique, like that, that true evil side, I don't think they would have gotten that out of Jennifer Lawrence. From watching the originals to the new ones, I think she could have had the potential.
potential to if it was explored more. Because they kind like she kind of had it in Days of Future Past. She kind of had oh, that going. Oh yeah, that question. But then when the you know everything changed, she changed. So we never really got to explore it. Like I think there was potential for it. It could go. It would have went either way. But we never really got to like. It's see one it, of those like butterfly effect. Yeah. Situations. Yeah. Split second decision, which, um, in one of the movies coming up, real soon of the new, uh, cast, I should say, um, that continued out the series for as long as did continue, um, with Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique, uh, we'll talk about that actual turning point, uh, during that. Movie. Yes. Okay, so next is the scene where they start out the transportation of Mystique in the mobile, uh, what is it? The, the mobile prison. Yeah, it is pretty much a mobile prison that dampen, it doesn't dampen their abilities, but they're in pods, cell pods, that are restrictive to their abilities. Yeah. So, um, in there, of course, Mystique is at the head of the trailer. Yep. And she transforms into a little girl. The part that I love the best is the guard. Bitch, I will shoot you. <laughs> that was hilarious. That was perfect. It really was. Um, and then in, before, the best part of that particular scene which isn't right now it comes later they go over to beast meeting leech which is just a little boy in this case yeah so leech is a mutant who can drain other mutants of their power and he doesn't kill them like rogue would do he just takes their mutant gene and it suppresses it and it What's funny is they depict it in this because normally it's kind of like Rogue where it was on a touch. Yeah. That I remember seeing that. Mm. Um, but here it's just within a certain like bubble of him. Yeah. They're, a, they're, everything's suppressed. Yeah. And I think uh, in one of the scenes towards the end of the movie, it expanded. The, the bubble was about five or so feet. Mm. Colossus. Well, he got pretty. They got pretty close to him, though. True. Okay. Fair enough. Because they had to wait until like the last minute, or that's right. Yeah. Okay. Because it once Juggernaut has enough momentum. I mean, yeah, Juggernaut, not Colossus. Jesus, oh. we fucked that up. <laughs> but yes, Juggernaut. No. Uh, so, yeah. but once Juggernaut has enough momentum, he can't be stopped. So, Kitty and them waited until the last second to move out of the way, and well, we'll get to that. We'll okay. get to that. But yeah, so it was about like three or four feet yeah. um, as an aura surrounding him that suppresses anybody, any mutant within that range is where we get that. Uh, but they, So Beast reaches out, Hank re reaches out and his hand turns into a human hand and he's like, oh, interesting. Um, and let's see. Then we go to Alkali Lake because Scott's there. Um, of course, he sees Gene, um, 
Now, what I thought was interesting is I did not really know that Phoenix had the ability, like Rogue, to suck in their powers. I knew she had the ability to absorb them, but not just by touch. Yeah. Which, Jean kisses Scott, and Scott, you can see the same rippling effect where the powers are leaving his body. Yeah. And it killed Scott, did it? We're not entirely sure. Because they haven't really said one way or the other yet. I'm... I, I think what happened is the same thing that happens when she uses her powers. I think that when she uses it, he turned into dust. And the only thing left was his glasses because... He already had them all. Well, I think she had them. No, she took he, off his glasses. Yeah, no, he took them off, but he had his eyes closed. Oh, no, she no, did have them. She, yeah, she took them off because she... Because he... Every time he takes off his glasses, he cannot control the beams coming out of his eyes. As long as his lids are open. Yeah, as long as his lids. So when she took him off... He squinted his eyes, and then she suppressed his power right. to see his eyes. Right. And so what I think happened was it's the same thing that happens to everybody. When she uses the Dark Phoenix powers, he went... Yeah, because it was after they kissed that you saw... Kind of like what happened with Rogue when she was sucking their powers is that it was just going, like, yeah. rippling through their body. Okay. Interesting. Um, and then, of course, uh, like I said earlier, uh, they were talking about how Jing had all of these powers from birth because they go to Alkali, or Wolverine and Storm go to Alkali Lake, find her unconscious, Take her back to the uh, mansion. Mansion, thank you. And uh, that's when you find out that Professor X has been suppressing or blocking those powers from childhood because she's had it the entire time. Well, not the Phoenix part. No, that's what he's saying. No, the she's it had was that her. All. It was her unconscious, like her subconscious. Yeah, but it's always been there. Unlike, no, it create because of those blocks, it created a second personality. Yeah, the personality of the Phoenix, but the powers of the Phoenix she's had. She's had the power, but not the personality split. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Back to the transport. So the transport they come back where Mystique's rescue. Yeah. So that's where we see Multi Man for the first time. Yep. Um. Other than just a verbal reference or visual reference of him on the list. Yeah. We also see Juggernaut. Yes, Juggernaut. Um, again, for, for the first time, yeah. in a cell. And then Mystique is released. Yeah. All right, now, what makes this scene so changing to everything was that after her release, she protects... Um, Magneto from getting shot with the cure or an experimental cure. Right. In turn, removing her abilities and a naked human female laying on the floor. Yeah. And Magneto just shuns her right then and there. 
Like, oh, that's unfortunate. Bye, bitch. Yeah. I was, when I first saw it, I was very surprised. Because after the first two movies, they're close. You know, she is without a doubt 100% loyal to him. And as soon as this happens, he's like, all right, deuces. Wow. Yeah, you're not a mutant anymore. You can't benefit me. What I kind of find, like, what I like about it, though, is, like, when they're walking away, he says, and she was so beautiful, too. Or, like, so beautiful, such a shame she was so beautiful, something like that. And I'm like... Oh, as her blue form. Mm. Yeah, that, w- that was cool, but shunning her just because she's she saved him. Mm-hmm. She saved his abilities, because that was definitely going to hit him. Well, at the at that moment, she thought it was a bullet, not the cure. They didn't know that they had weaponized it until afterwards, and he took the gun. That's when they realized that it's weaponized, and it's not a cure. It's a lethal weapon against mutants. Yeah. So... Effectively, Raven is just Raven now. She is no longer Mystique and never will be, according to the way they set the scene up. Like, there's no going back. That scene, yeah. There's no way. So, in the overall spectrum of the timeline, Mystique is gone. She's she's no longer, and she has to live out the rest of her days as a human. That That is a dramatic change, especially losing Scott Summers. Yeah. To Phoenix. We've now lost Mystique forever in this universe. In this particular lineage of the time. Yeah. What? How does that feel? It, it's a lot of big names. Like... Long-lasting names. Yeah, these are like the names that are always there. Like, Mystique is always there. She's always doing something. And her mutants. white uh, crotch cut down... In the comics and yeah. cartoons. Yeah. Oh. Like, she's always doing something. You never know what she's doing because she's always changing her image. So you never know what she's up to until it's your right in the face. Yeah, she ch- transforms back. Right, and Scott is always a leader. Like, he's, he's like the number one X-Man. Like, always there. So taking out two major players like two major names in that franchise it, it that's gonna take a heavy hit especially Jean Grey like that that and and you know that's because they were engaged in this time yeah they were yeah they weren't just dating they were engaged uh by this point yeah. by the second film I believe so yeah now of course in the cartoons and most of the lineages of the comic book series, they ended up getting married. Yeah. But, yeah. Two big names gone by the third movie. can't really find big names like that. I mean, you probably could, but it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, fair. But, uh, now this, of course, is the premise in which we're talking about up to this point of knowledge. Now, of course, most of us who watched all this cinematic 
uh, universe of the X-Men know that they, Scott Summers is not dead because he shows up in the next version, I believe. Nope, nope I'm thinking of something else. Never mind. He is gone. I lied. He is gone. In the... Days of Future Past, when they split to... Apocalypse. Is it Apocalypse? He's in they... Apocalypse. That's when he's introduced in Apocalypse. New one? I'm not talking about the, the young Scott. I'm talking about this Scott. Oh, yeah, no. After the third one, he gone. He gone. He's gone. It's like when um, Jubilee, was it Jubilee? That sends Logan back in time? No, that's Kitty Pride. That's Kitty Pride. Yeah. Okay, yeah. When Kitty sends him back um, in the that side of it, he's not there. Right, because it's too far back. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I'm like, jumping like, ahead. I'm jumping ahead. But anyway, so cinematic wise, he's gone right now in right this now. timeline. Yeah. As of last stand, he's dead. So, holy shit! And then, of course, they get into the altercations because Phoenix joins Magneto. Right towards the end of the battles, final of the movie because I missed F- that. Um. Oh. Uh, Logan Star. Oh no, she was. She went on her own. So, um. Yeah. Gene or Magneto learns about Gene's resurrection, so he's completely oblivious to her resurrection by this point. But through Callisto, who was a collaboration, uh, mutant power collection, which we'll get into later. Um, but her ability to sense the presence or power level of mutants, Callisto mm-hmm. that is, um, senses Gene because she's a level five mutant. Right. Um, and that's when Magneto learns about it. He's trying to get her on his side. Um, but through Gene and Phoenix, but Phoenix joins it. Because Phoenix destroys the house because they're at her old house. Mm-hmm. Of course, the X-Men are there and Magneto and his team are there. Yep. She destroys the house in almost half the damn neighborhood with yep. her powers. Um, and Xavier, or let's see. Before they can stop her, Jean leaves with Magneto. Okay, so yeah, she did join up with Magneto. Yeah, um, after everything that happened at the house yeah. and Xavier, she left him. Um, okay, so after interrogating a depowered mystique, the FBI discovered Magneto's base is in the woods. So she realized that she was betrayed, so she gave up Magneto at that point. Right. Um, but the life forms that at the camp were all decoy copies of Multiman. So this is where you get to see his uh, powers in action. Yeah. Where he's basically a distraction or a diversion. Um, Magneto and the Brotherhood have gone to storm Alcatraz Island where Leech is being held and the cure is being manufactured <laughs> by using his magnetic manipulation powers to reroute the Golden Gate Bridge. So in this, he takes literally the center section of the Golden Gate Bridge, 
and uses it as a real bridge, um, a floating bridge that they all stand on to get there. Uh, the remaining X-Men confront the Brotherhood, uh, despite being significantly outnumbered and arrive just as military troops who thus far have been neutralizing the attack, attacking mutants are overwhelmed by, by the Brotherhood. Um, let's see. So Jimmy, who is Leech, uh, Kitty Pride, or Elliot Page now, but before was for transition when they were starring in this. Um, what was their name? His Ellen. Name. Ellen. There you go. Ellen Page. God, my brain is fried. <laughs> I'm just like trying to I'm figure exhausted. Um, I took a nap during the movie. I even took a nap during the movie, yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, then Ellen Page, now Elliot, because of full transition, have has been done. Um, but Elliot, uh, character Kitty Pride saves Jimmy from Juggernaut. That's what we were talking about earlier. Because Jimmy is Leech, who sucks away or uh, basically makes them null and void. Yeah, all the all the mutant powers around them because they found that she found out when she tried to run through a wall with him, just bounced off of it. Right. Uh, and then Juggernaut, because Juggernaut was chasing Kitty all throughout the facility breaking down walls until that point. Then he knocks himself out. And they go back and out one of the other holes that he's already created. Um, let's see. So Logan has Colossus throw him at Magneto and distract him long enough for Hank or Beast to inject Magneto with the cure. So... At this point, the major fight on Alcatraz, Magneto is now injected with the cure. He is now useless. He's human. He's human. <laughs> uh, let's see. The army reinforcements arrive and shoot at Jean. So, this was a big factor because they were trying to talk her phoenix down. And she's like full rage mode, like skin's pale white, eyes are black, red, radiant, glow around her. She is full Phoenix mode. Over the top, the the military shows up, point weapons, and fire. Big mistake. Because they, she was almost calmed down. Yeah, she was almost calmed down. She was almost there, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey look, army guys, fire! will it's like well you just screwed up all right bye yeah so she goes full rage again throwing out her phoenix essence of destruction is what i call it her nuclear bomb that yeah. is the phoenix and anything within its radius is immediately obliterated well of course logan is walking towards her um and you can see it's affecting him, like destroying him. But of course, he regenerates, so it's like, pow, he fixes himself. Pow, he fixes himself until he gets right up to her. And she, Jean, kind of pulls out of the Phoenix a little bit to basically other stop me. Was it stop Af me? After no, it, when he gets up to her. 
she says you would die for them and he goes no for you for you and that that's what what's... brings out yeah. the gene in the phoenix yeah and then that's when she mutters stop uh, or something i else. can't no cuz yeah cuz he was trying to talk her down she said she couldn't control it and that's when or say or saving something like that something along those lines of i can't control it or something and then basically telling logan to stop her basically uh oh i said basically twice (laughs) oh my god basically so gene basically let's try that again so gene tells logan to stop her or stop the phoenix that's when brings out the claws and sinks them deep into her torso effectively killing Jean Grey and the Phoenix because she has no regenerative powers right and Jean dies so does the Phoenix again another big name done no more and of course, during that process, um, Xavier was hurt if, during that fight, I believe. Or at some point, he was hurt. Xavier? Yeah. He went at the house. Did he? Yeah. Got that. That's when you actually see um, Magneto generally care for like, Charles because he's yelling at Gene not to do it. Oh, that's like right. She She's know. got him under control. She, Xavier is literally like floating in the air, being held up by Jean or as the her psych her psychic power though. Yeah, and literally like they're almost having like a mind battle, and like the last like Eric is over in the kitchen. He can't move, and he's yelling, you know, Jean, no, you know, don't, and. As the battle goes on, you see, like, parts of his body, like, deteriorating, like, vanishing. Oh, until yeah. finally, he tells her, don't let it control you. Logan has literally clawed his way on the roof. He's stuck on the roof inside the house. That's right. Yeah. He opens the door. He's witnessing it all. And then Charles looks at him, smiles, and then he's gone. That's right. And then Magneto, Magneto yells out, Charles. Like, he generally cares for his former friend because they both believed in a safer world for mutants, just different ideals of how to about it. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's when Xavier dies, which is another big name that they took out. What? Right. We'll get to that. Yes. Okay. So, um, anyway, so Jean's gone now. Uh, and then what was the end credits? Uh, or not the end credits, but the final scene. Um, the school is open. Kids are coming back, including Jimmy, uh, a.k.a. Leech. Oh, that's he right. He joined the school because he's seen running straight to Storm and giving her a giant hug. Um, then, uh, oh, Rogue and, comes back. Yeah, Rogue comes back, 
and she has taken the cure. Yep. So she's in the school again, but as a human, and she's able to finally make skin-to-skin contact with Bobby. Uh, and then it cuts to a presidential speech. Yep. Um, and is... the ambassador to the United Nations for mutants and humans alike for the United States. Yep. Um, Rogue reveals to Bobby uh, the cure... And he is showing disappointment, but they hold hands. Logan is overlooking, is standing in front of the mansion. Um, yes, it as the, it as the final scene from the school. He's in the front patio, basically, and it zooms out to show the whole uh, building. Yep. Uh, then it cuts to a park, yep. and in the park, it's like typical New York park where old guys are playing chess. And then you see Eric sitting there by himself yep. with a set of metal chess pieces. Mm-hmm. And he reaches, he, it's like you see it in his face, he feels something. Yeah. And he kind of reaches out and you just, I mean, if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. But it's just a little twitch yeah. from the rook. Yeah. It's like the line that he says that when Logan goes searching for Gene in the forest at Magneto's camp... I can smell your adamantium from a mile away. So, like, he can sense metal. So, like, at this point, after the cure, he can't. And then all of a sudden he's sitting at this park, and it's like, wait, wait, I know this feeling. What is this feeling? So he's, like, testing it out. Just that sliver of a second. If you blink, you will miss it. It's like, you you see it right here, and then all of a sudden, just that. Literally, that was it. And then it cuts, goes to credits. Now, one thing, the entire, entire fucking time that this movie's been out, I have never once seen an end credit. And neither have I. So, finding, this movie came out in 2006. It is 2020. I have never seen a post-credit scene. But, there is. The post-credit scene is more McTaggart checking in on a comatose patient. That patient is Xavier. No. It's Xavier's voice. It's his voice, but it's not Xavier. Something that we did skip. Yes. Okay, um, so let me rephrase that. Yeah. When I say it's Xavier, I'm meaning it's his essence, his spirit, his mind essentially yes so go back to the scene in the classroom right where Xavier is in front of students one of which being Kitty Pride and some of the other youngsters go ahead oh so they're talking about I want to say basically the ethics of how far is too far with using your abilities. So he shows a clip, um, a video of Moira McTaggart with a comatose patient. Um, He's not brain dead, but he's just basically comatose. Yeah, so no, there's no uh, expression of life. Yeah. Um, But not on his... 
He's got uh, a respirator on just for uh, essential breathing. However, there's not a lot keeping him alive. Like, the body itself is alive, but it's brain dead. Yeah, and he's got, like, a brain girl uplinks yeah. or something like that. So basically what it brings up to in this scene is that how far is too far? It's like, would is it too far to transfer, I think, Xavier's... Um, conscious. The no. conscious of it. Well, no, his example. Oh, his example life. was is you okay. had a father who was in a coma no. with, or cancer. A, yeah, a cancer. A father of like four. three or four with like terminal cancer. Is it unethical to transfer his mind from that body to this um, one that this is one. that doesn't have or show existence of life? Right. It's like, is it ethical? And so at this ending scene that I've never seen before, we see that he has... They have done that, that transfer. He did it. Right before he died, he did it. He transferred his own consciousness, or what can be assumed, he transferred his own consciousness right. to that body. Right. And in the scene, he speaks out, and all it really says is Moira, and she looks at the patient laying there, who she was checking on, and is questioning, like, Charles? What? Like it was a huge It was a huge deal. Shock. Never seen that before and we accidentally stumbled upon it because I hit the button because it said skip credits. Yeah. I was like, what? Click. And I was like Wait, looking what? over everything and then all of a sudden this pops up and I'm like, what 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 what, what, what is this? What what is that? Yeah. What? I'd never seen this before. Ever. It was cool. So that is uh X-Men Last Stand, the third movie in the franchise. Uh, those either here at Twitch Chat or YouTube or in the audio realms, what do you guys think about the series so far? If you're following along with us, watching with us as we go through this series, uh, what, what ideas do you have based on the lineage in which they're presenting them uh, do you think it's interesting, especially compared to what you may know from the newer movies? Because uh, we'll be talking about that as we go through as well. So next up is some fun facts, or what they call trivia. Uh, this is coming from the xmenmovies.fandom.com wiki, uh, X-Men Last Damn Trivia. So it's just some fun facts that they kind of threw in here. Yeah. Uh, some the fandoms threw together based on the movie itself. Uh, first bullet point: uh, story elements. Yeah, let me turn off that recording. Uh, but the story elements uh, in X Men: Last Stand were loosely adapted from various storylines featured in the comic book series. Uh, let's see. So. Jean Grey emerging from the body of water after her supposed death is a homage to X-Men Volume 1 um, of the 101 storyline, titled Like a Phoenix from the Ashes. The issue also uh, commences the start of Phoenix Saga, which is ran through issues 101 through 108 of X-Men Volume 1. 
So if you have those comics, go back and look at it. This is what this movie is primarily based on when it comes to the Phoenix side of Jean Grey. Uh, the corrupt psyche of Jean Grey is adapted from the Dark Phoenix Saga, a uh, story arc that ran through issues 129 to 138 of X-Men Volume 1. So that's cool. At least they're staying within the same realms. Yeah. And the development of the cure is adapted from Gifted, a story arc that ran from issues 1 through 6 of Astonishing X-Men Volume 3. So there's some comic book lore built into the movie. Yeah. Uh, no one cares about... Well, let's see. No, not really. I think it's about the... The... Alright, so here we go. In Dr. McCoy's first scene, he is seen reading the issue of Scientific America magazine, Upside Down, mind you, yeah. uh, which features its cover as Tracking Mutations. The issue is an ex existing one. So this is a real live magazine. So if you want to look it up, it's Scientific America magazine, and it is tracking mutations. Uh, the issue uh, was released October 2005. Hmm. So that was a real thing. Angel's wings were initially too heavy for Ben Foster, who was the actor who played Angel. And were remade from home. They don't look it. They did not look like. Yeah, I know, right? So they did pretty. They did really well on that one. And then the wings went to CGI, which is yeah, fair. Completely, yeah, completely fair. Ooh, another fun fact: Halle Berry initially decided not to reprise her role as Storm for this film. So two iterations, she's like, nah, fuck it, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> However, after Brian Singer, who was the director, departed um, and suffering a major box office flop with Catwoman. Oh, so that's why she didn't want to deal with Singer. No, uh... Oh, no, she had the Catwoman flop. I think it's Singer and the flop. Yeah, and suffering. Yeah. Oh, okay. So after the flop of Catwoman that she starred in, they deci she decided to go back yeah. and do this this role. On um, the condition that her role be expanded, which I can kind of understand because she didn't have like much of an arc, a yeah, story arc to she, it. Yeah, she didn't. I mean, she was a, a major character, but she didn't have like the the major roles. Like she, she like was the, a supporting the character. character. Yeah, she was very much a supporting character in the movies. Yeah. So it says, let's see, uh, consequently in the film, Storm replaces Cyclops uh, because Cyclops died and Professor X as team leader of the X-Men. So she took over as team lead in that, I'm guessing in that promise. Yeah. Is what it looks like it reads as. Which is keeping with the comic books where, for a time, Storm served as team leader in Xavier's absence. So that's cool. So yeah. at least they were trying to keep it accurate to the comics. Yeah. As best as possible. Uh, let's see. 
Oh, here we go. Next bullet down. With the appearance of Beast, though he was in previous films and Angel, the original X-Men team that was formed in 1963 was Professor X, Cyclops, Phoenix, not Jean Grey, mm. Beast, Iceman, and Angel. That was the original team. Yeah. Wow. They, they, they. I think they changed the ages of some of the. Well, Iceman for sure, because I remember Iceman in the series was a lot older. Yeah, I think Rogue they... was a lot older. Yeah, I think they changed it for more like aesthetic wise to draw more um, like, a, like a younger generation. Because at the at the time, X Men was what for people in their at the, at that time. Us. Yeah. Thirties, thirty-year-olds, basically. Yeah, pretty much. So I think they were trying to draw in a younger crowd, which they did. Yeah. yeah. Um, now fully appeared in the film. So this is the first time that the original team fully showed up in the in the movies. So that's cool to see. Yeah. But of course, not all together because Iceman wasn't a part of the team. Hank hasn't been a part of the team. He just been doing political flaws. And Angel wasn't an X-Men at this point either. Yeah. Alright, so let's see. What else do we got? This one. So the writers wrote a... So Brian Singer was going to direct, and he and his writers wrote a treatment solely based on the storyline of the Dark Phoenix Saga. The decreased... Deceased. Deceased, excuse me. Jean Grey returns with a new, more destructive personality called Phoenix. Uh, she would be manipulated into joining Hellfire Club by their telepathic leader, Emma Frost, who Sigourney Weaver was intended to... For the role. I got gypped out of seeing Sigourney Weaver in, in X-Men. I feel robbed. <laughs> I feel robbed. Right? Uh, let's see. But the three-way battle occurs between the club who want to take over the world, i.e. the Brotherhood, in, this in the movie depiction. The X-Men who wanted to save their comrade and the Brotherhood wanted Phoenix their own plans. At the end, to save everyone, kills herself. Um, what? Logan killed her. In oh, what in Brian that, what they were. To oh, do. okay. Gotcha. In in the Dark Phoenix saga that he wanted to do. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the characters Fat and Spike, who that. were both from Static or ex-static comic books yeah. had cameos. Yeah, the the big guy. Yeah, when, the fat when, guy when that transitions into, into a the, small guy. Yeah. yeah, that's him. And then Spike is... Well, I Your like porcupine. to call it porcupine. Yeah, because it really is a porcupine. Except yes. instead of just sitting up, they come out of his skin. Yeah. Ah, uh, so the guy... Uh, Kane Marco, who plays Juggernaut. No, that's his name. That's Juggernaut's actual name. 
It's Kane Marco. Oh. Yes. Oh, see that I didn't pay attention. Yeah. I forgot that that was his name. All right, so you don't know who I am. I'm the Juggernaut, bitch. <laughs> that became infamous because of this this character, or this depiction of the character was inspired by a popular web parody film that made use of scenes from X-Men. Throughout the parody, the Juggernaut character repeatedly says, I'm the Juggernaut, bitch, according to the Wikipedia. Now we gotta find this. I need to look this up. I can't look at Wikipedia because I'm not connected no, to the <laughs> But I'm saying, like, uh, find this parody. Uh, oh, according yeah. to Brent Ratner, even has a link to this parody in his own website. There you go. Hmm. Let's look at that. Um, so let's see. Whether or not the parody itself was inspired by misheard line from an old X-Men video game is irrelevant to the film's usage of the line, since it's clearly a homage to the web parody. Yeah. Alright, so we talked about this one prior to the recording of this. Yeah. Uh, Summer Glue. So Summer Glue is infamous by the TV show Firefly and the movie Serenity, uh, where she is one of the main characters in the series and in the movie. Uh, but she would originally audition for the role of Kitty Pride, who Elliot Page actually got. Uh, the one that can run through walls, phase through walls. Um, but she looked to uh, Josh Whedon, who gave her the part in Firefly and Serenity for advance because she knew it was a it was a big X-Men, because she was a big X-Men fan. Right? Yeah. She was a big X-Men fan. Unaware that he had written issues of Astonishing X-Men for Marvel, and most prominently the gifted storyline about the mutant cure. Her audition script turned out to be pages from Wheaton's Astonishing X-Men number five. Oh, he was a big X-Men fan. Yeah, her. he was the big X-Men fan. Yeah. So, um, she originally auditioned for it, but Elliot Page got it. Uh, let's see. The opening flashback. Alright, so the young Xavier and Magneto. Yeah. The CGI faces. Um, the FX BFX Pertz L BFX uh, I get it now. X Pertz. Ha 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 ha. It's the visual effects experts created a special program that enabled digital skin graphics. Uh, with the use of old photos from Patrick Stewart and Ian McClellan, uh, complexing key uh, framing they is how they made the uh, younger, 20-year younger versions of the two actors for that scene. Um, Griff, if you're still in here, maybe you can help give us an understanding of this next fun fact. The number on Gene's house in that scene mailbox was 1769 if you can uh, come back to us with that kind of reference because we haven't looked that up yet. 
Poseidon was being filmed at the same time. Never know until Let's see. According to VFX supervisor John Bruno, about thirty-five million was spent on the Golden Gate sequence. Thirty-five million dollars for one scene to remove a section of the Golden Gate Bridge and have it fly through the air. That is crazy. That's probably where all the uh, money went for special effects. Because, I mean, to be fair, during the fight scene, they're not... It's all physical effects, like explosions it, it, and stuff. Well, that, and it's not... There's not a variety of mutant powers. Like, you see the same guys jumping. You see someone teleporting like Nightcrawler. Yeah. Like, yeah. twice, though. Yeah, like, you see one guy that can stick to um, the underside of a tower. You see another guy who's, like, ashen skin and, like, whatever. And when he breathes at you, basically disintegrate. Besides Arclight, Spike, and Callisto, um, you, you really don't see much of any other mutant's powers. It's basically just all of this stuff. Pretty much. Which kinda sucks, but at the same time I can understand. Okay. Ooh, here we go. Talking about Callisto. Uh, the mutant Callisto in the film is a combination of her comic book version, which is the gang leader. Right. And then also the mutant Caliban and Quicksilver. So, in the film, her first mutant ability that she shows off is the superhuman speed. And that piques his interest, or Magneto's interest in that one scene in the cathedral where they're having the meeting. Right. But then, she talks about um, being able to sense mutant abilities, like no one in this room is over a level three except you two, talking about Magneto and Pyro. Right. So that is Caliban's ability, is being able to sense mutant abilities or the power levels of mutants. And Quicksilver, of course, is super fast. Which we don't see, like, either of them until the newer movies. Like, we see, I think the first time we see Caliban is in Apocalypse. And then Quicksilver is... Quicksilver, I think, is when uh, Magneto is in the prison under Pentagon. Days of Future Past. Yeah, because they go there. Yeah, so that's like the first time we see them. Fun fact: Quicksilver in the the new cast is the only X Men to be featured. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. 
yeah. He's the only actor to play in both universes. Even yeah. though they're all the same universe, but yeah. in the cinematic universes, they're very different. Yeah. And he's the only person to play in both universes. So there's a, there's a fun fact for you. <laughs> uh, let's see. So the Danger Room facility was going to appear in previous X films, but was written out due to budgetary concerns. Uh, the character Leech appears in the comics as a small green boy rather than a normal looking human child. That would have been interesting. Uh, the sequence where Magneto rips off the end of the Golden Gate Bridge and moves it towards Alcatraz was based on New X-Men number 147 where he did the same with the Manhattan and Brooklyn Bridges up with him and bridges they're metal i mean those bridges are hundred or well, hundred years old but like they're all steel i know but it's just like kind of thing for moving bridges here yeah <laughs> uh the danger room sequence presenting the scenario of war-torn world filmed the mutant hunting robots the sentinels uh, the scenario is a homage to x-men storyline days of future past mm. Uh, which uh, featured time travel and a future that was similar to what Danger Room presented. So this was well b before the actual film Days of Future Past, which is the next film, actually. No, Wolverine is the next film. Well, uh, in, in the Chronicle, cryo... Theatrical release? No, in Chronicle timeline yeah in the timeline what are chron uh, chronological thank you in that order it was actually the first movie chronological yeah uh let's see i didn't have it but no uh x-men first class is technically the first oh yeah true. in in like if we're going like the way the movies are going so days of future past would actually be the last uh no no apocalypse would have been the last one. No, because that's set in the past. That's right, it is. Yeah. So yeah, Days of Future Past has both sets of the past, the older and younger versions, right? Days of, yeah. So yeah, that would have been the last one. For... In the chronological. For the older ones, yes. Days of Future Past would have been the last one. Because that is the last... Kind of technically the last movie that Ian McKellen and... Patrick Stewart, you see as their characters. Like, there is... Outside of Logan. Outside of Logan. Like, there is, like, one scene where it with James McAvoy and Patrick Stewart in one of the movies mm -hmm. that they talk to each other and see... Oh, wait, no, I think that isn't Days of Future Past, actually. Oh, where they communicate cross-timeline? Yeah. Yeah. So, but that basically, that's the last one. Okay. Uh, let's see... Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, a reflective form-fitting bodysuit was created for Daniel Cudmore to wear as Colossus. This was considered a cheaper move rather than animating Colossus' ability in CGI as seen in the previous film. See, I told you! Talked about this earlier, by the way. Because in the second one, you can actually see 
where the metal is is like muscle underneath like the muscles that are beneath the skin but in this one in last stand like oh, there's still got you there's okay. still like facial features and everything but, but there's not that level of detail right because when they're shooting at him you see it come through and you see where the muscle lines are but in this one it's like you see the muscle, but like basically just like the skin muscle, not like the actual inside. Ah, uh, okay. And I was so mad about that. <laughs> huh. But that uh -huh. explains it, though. The what maneuver you... when Colossus grabs Wolverine and throws him at something, which we find out is the Sentinel during, I'm guessing... Yeah, so this is the scene in the Danger Room when they're doing the training. And Colossus picks up Wolverine and throws him at the Sentinel that you don't know is necessarily a Sentinel because you just see these big bulging eyes and you hear the sounds of the Sentinel. Right. Uh, spinning around a few times to gain momentum is known as a fastball special and is the ironic, iconic, iconic move in the X-Men saga. The fastball special is filmed based on John Cassidy's Amazing X-Men number six. Huh. So they actually pay a lot of homage to the comic books here. Yeah. Especially the different, um, I guess, lineages or sagas that they talk about. Yeah. Uh, the Juggernaut is filmed based on his appearance in the Ultimate X-Men. So this Juggernaut versus Deadpool juggernaut which are two different variations yeah because this one i believe is more human-like um no they're both human the difference is is that juggernaut not the one in last stand but the other juggernaut in deadpool he's bigger bigger but also powered like his mute his mutated power isn't like born he got it from a gem he got it from like he got it from like something else. Okay. So in Last Stand, this is genetic. Like okay. most mutants get their powers. Yeah, that's right because his dome-shaped helmet is just to protect his head from getting knocked out, and also to keep Charles out. Because because it is the same material. It's just a rugged material, or rugged because of his using his head as a ramrod. Is why it's all dented up and scarred versus Magneto's metal, which is smooth because he doesn't well, head like that. That and also because what most people don't know, or do know, but what fail to realize is that after Xavier's mother dies, that is when his powers activate. What people don't know is that Charles's mother married. Juggernaut's father. So they became stepbrothers. Juggernaut's father favored Charles. And that's where the hatred came from, and that's where he knows about his powers. Gosh. And then that's another reason why he wears a helmet. To keep Charles out of his head. Oh, fair. Because he knows what his stepbrother can do. Gotcha. Hmm. Okay. Makes sense now. Right? Oh, and yeah. Um, because he's so, in the series, he is natural mutant, but while in the original Marvel comics, his ability came from magic. 
Because the one in the Deadpool is still natural. Yeah, they just don't go into the, like... But he's also bigger, more animated. Yeah, they made him look like what he looks like in the comics. Yeah, versus the this one, the Last Stand Juggernaut, looks more human-like, but just bulky. Yeah. Oversized versus unproportioned. Yeah, like they still made him like a genetic human. Or eh, human genetic mutant, rather than manufactured. Yeah, basically, pretty much. Okay. Uh, let's see. Modified Oakley Penny model. Ooh. So if you want um, Cyclops's sunglasses from these first three movies, they're Oakley's Penny model, and limited edition sunglasses with a custom tinted created specifically for the film. Also, Hank McCoy wears Oakley Y3 glasses, uh, specially made to fit his character. I'm guessing the wider head. That's a big head. Yeah, it is. A lot of fur. Uh, let's see. Oh. Baggy Grace? Two Oh, because they made her a child in this, remember? Um, She's a young teenager versus yeah. an older teenager like she is in the series, the original series. Yeah, okay, I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, by this point, I think Maggie was... So, Maggie Grace is the chick from the Lost series that was the pristine preppy bitch. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. And she also played in Californication as well. So that's Maggie Grace. But anyway, Maggie Grace um, was, I think, late, mid to late 20s when this was filmed. And considering how young she looks, yeah, she could probably pull off like a... Oh, no, I'm sorry. She was in her 20s when this was filmed versus her pre-teenage years. Yeah. Uh, According to the plot-inspired X-Men storylines, Phoenix Saga, Phoenix and Gifted, the Phoenix story represented the main and emotional theme of the film, and the gifted storyline would be the political sub. Ha! Huh. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So the film, the way it's broken down as the main plot, is based on the storyline of the Dark Phoenix saga, Whereas the political plot, which everybody's fighting against, is from the Gifted series. Which, again, makes Is the cure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Alright, so let's see. Brian Singer was in the middle of a three-picture deal with Fox being beginning with X2. So there was supposed to be a third film after this. Another film after this. But keen to make X-Men 3, but he and Fox were unable to come to terms during the time Warner offered him a chance to direct Superman Returns immediately. So Singer informed Fox that he was going to take the opportunity, but would still return for a direct X-Men 3. As As the consequence, his deal was terminated and Matthew Vaughn briefly joined the production before he backed out. Brent Ratner, 
Brett Ratner, excuse me, was the finalist for the director's role on X on the first X-Men movie. Uh, having experience in making a successful film out of a rush production with Rush Hour. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So that's why the story plot stopped with Last Stand. Hmm. That sucks, but alright. So they're probably not going to revisit that storyline, that they, story arc they with can. Professor X. Well, well, I mean, they really can't. Yeah, because Fox owned those rights to that storyline. Yeah, that and the new one. I mean, even if, like, what, doesn't Disney own it now since it's on Disney Plus? Fuck, I don't know. Uh, both Rebecca Romaine, uh, played Mystique, and James Marsden. Marsden, thank you, played Scott. Roles were reduced subs substantially when the film was rushed into production. And the two cast members had prior scheduling conflicts. So because sense. the actors had other things going on, they said, well, we'll just kill them all. Right. Fucking movie magic. Yay! Makes so much sense. Oh, let's see. Scroll down a little bit. Get some later fun facts here. If you see anything, just go ahead and blur it. Not really. Oh, here we go. Huh. Uh, Nightcrawler was supposed to make a cameo appearance in this film. Because um, he played in X2 and was going to reprise the role despite his discomfort with the prosthetic makeup he had to wear for his role. Cameo was so short, however, that the film felt... The long and costly makeup process was not worthwhile, so he was omitted from the film. Video game X-Men, the official game, mentioned that Nightcrawler joined the X-Men, but left because he didn't appreciate their life of action and violence. Because the Nightcrawler character was a strong Roman Catholic. Right. Um, the mutant Kitty Pride was named after the an actual person, a former classmate of X Men writer John Byrne. Uh, upon the release of X Men reports, reporters tracked down Pride in Calgary, Canada, Alberta, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, Canada, to interview her about the film. She has now changed her name to KD. Pride. Like the letter K, the letter D, Pride. And states that she appreciates the comics, but wishes to be known as more than just a heroine's namesake. Fuck, I'd live off of that. The... Right? That's royalty rights right there. Right? You use my name, give me money. Right? I'd be okay with that. Uh, let's see. Comic Book Pride appears in all three X-Men films, but is played by different actresses. So the young, young one in the first one was Sumila K, Katie Stewart in the second one, and finally Ellen at the time, Paige, and only has a major role in X-Men Last Stand. Hmm. 
because she is a supporting character in uh, Days of Future Past. Yeah. Which has, what, maybe three minutes total of screen time? Mm, I think she's like in the beginning part of it, yeah. Yeah, the very beginning and the very end. Outside uh, of the time warp. I, yeah, I think so. Because uh, she's the whole reason why uh, Logan's allowed to go back in time. Right. Because Xavier uses her, and we'll get into this, but Xavier uses her to get into Logan's mind to transfer him, basically. Yeah. Alright, so... Let's see. Oh. So the last scene of Magneto and Professor X, where Magneto discovers the return of his powers, and Professor X reveals his survival were not in the script and were secretly filmed. Sir Ian McClellan and Sir Patrick Stewart admitted even they didn't know whether their scenes would be in the final cut or not. I'm kind of glad they were. Yeah. Uh, last point here, because we're skipping down some more. And again, this website will be in the show notes for anybody listening in audio land if you want to listen in. Uh, Magneto ended up a normal human and Wolverine snide comment, I'm one of them, is a tribute to the X-Men storyline House of M, which ended with Magneto rendering rendered human with Wolverine's Wolverine stating he deserves every second of his crap sa- sapien. Crap sapien life. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. That's a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but he's an origin. Yeah. That is the origin actor. I think, go up a little bit. Uh, Just, oh, there we go. The popular mutant Gambit. Yes. Was going to appear in the film. And would again. Have, again. And would have been a love interest of Rogue and a rival for Iceman. Similar to how Kitty Pride was Rogue's rival for Iceman's affections. However, Fox was developing X-Men Origins Wolverine and stipulated that no mutant could appear in both X films. And so Gambit was removed from the script. Channing Tatum was in the running for the role before it was removed. Which makes sense because there was this like so much fan art when in talks of Gambit joining the X Men movies, there was so much fan art of because you know how like everyone says, oh, well, this, I think this person would be perfect for that and that, and then they. Oh, make... so you're saying that the fan art was depicting Channing Tatum as Gambit? Yes. But see, that in lies the problem because Gambit, especially in the animated series his voice of course being from Louisiana he's got that strong Cajun accent Channing Tatum doesn't have that well you can always learn I mean it's the same way people would learn a Russian accent or a French accent yeah maybe but personally 
we get to X-Men Origins, we get to the Gambit character, that actor... Yeah, he does do it justice. The only issue I have with the Gambit character that is depicted is way older than Rogue. Where in the series that I remember growing up, they were very close in age. Yeah, they were because like they were love interests in the X-Men Unlimited series. Or they were like attempting to be like they were starting. Like they yeah, were close. Like, like you could tell that like that's what they were building up to. It was um Gambit and Rogue. And that's what it was during the entire entirety of the animated series. Yeah. Is Gambit and Rogue were together. Uh, Gene was split between Scott and Logan. Yep. Because the Phoenix character was drawn to Logan, whereas Gene Gray was engaged and married to Scott. Yep. Um, and it was a underlining like consideration of Mystique and Magneto. Yeah. For a long time. Well, they kind of brought that energy into the. Yeah. Which I greatly appreciated. Yes. I yes. loved it. Okay. So, yeah. It looks like um, we're going to end that there. I need to make a note this real quick. That. So, guys, leave if you are watching us on YouTube. Again, the Madhouse presents group therapy on the tube of views. Uh, or if you are listening to us on the podcast that you can find on all major listening platforms, please leave a comment, leave us a review. Let us know what you think so far of our series. Uh, Unreal or Jordan here will be joining us for the next one as well if you haven't caught that much so far. Uh, but we will be uh, probably making this a regular thing. Yeah. Um, sadly, Owls has had to step down um, by personal choice for different reasons. Uh, but maybe we'll get her back on in, in another appearance later down the road. Uh, but yeah, we got, we got Jordan here that thankfully... Uh, local to me now so yep more regular appearances will try to be scheduled with personal life so that that can happen so let's see um, while I'm copying this down Jordan do you want to tell everybody your socials and where they can find you want to plug those in if you know them or twitch is Unreal Style TTV. Twitter is Unreal Style One. That is about all that I have at the moment because I have lost my TikTok because I was inactive for so long. So I have to like relog it again. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> well, you're also uh, talking about rebranding anyway, so. Yeah. The Unreal Style name is probably going to go away, right? Yeah, probably. So we will definitely update that as uh, as it happens. And then, of course, for myself, you can always find me um, 
on Twitch, on my personal channel, NLMP, so that's twitch.tv backslash NLMP. On TikTok is the official NLMP, or the official underscore NLMP. Uh, Instagram is NLMP Gaming, or NLMP underscore gaming. Um, awesome. And Twitter is... NLMP Joker. Um, also, I have NLMP on YouTube. And then again, here at the Madhouse, we are uh, Madhouse Presents Group Therapy on YouTube. Obviously, on Twitch, it is the Madhouse Podcast. And on Twitter, it is MHP Group Therapy. Um, so if you'd like to reach out, talk to us, give us suggestions. For future episodes, uh, we have a form if you are available on TikTok. You just click on the suggestions panel down below. Um, anywhere else, you can look in the show notes and I will have a uh, link to the form where you can fill it out. Give us a review there if there is no review available, i.e. Twitch or YouTube. Uh, you can go to the forum, give us a review. Tell us what you think. Tell us how we're doing. Uh, also, you can suggest topics. You can suggest interviews. Uh, people to interview. Content creators, YouTubers, Twitch streamers, uh, TikTokers. And, we, and a link to their content. And we will try to bring them on and talk to them. Um, also, Discord is down below. That is the Madhouse Discord uh, for everything gaming, nerds, and this podcast. So if you want to check that out, that would be greatly appreciated. And again, shout out to our transcript editor, uh, Deaf Girl, uh, who is legally deaf, but she still transcribes our podcast for us and makes those available in a neat and orderly fashion. So thank you again for everybody who joined us, and I hope you have a great night. And stay tuned for next week where we talk about Wolverine. Uh, the Origins, yeah. Yeah, X-Men Origins, Wolverine.